You're listening to The Cutting Edge, presented by Hilleberg the Tentmaker. Hi, I'm Petra Hilleberg, President and CEO of Hilleberg the Tentmaker. My dad, Bo Hilleberg, a lifelong outdoorsman, founded Hilleberg 50 years ago, and we've been family-owned, family-operated, and European-made ever since. We proudly specialize in building strong, lightweight tents and in never compromising on quality of materials or construction. Our tents have been specifically chosen by polar expeditions, mountaineers, backpackers, and avid outdoor adventurers just like you all over the world. We build tents for everyone's adventure. Additional support is provided by Polar Tech, celebrating 40 years of the original fleece, outfitting climbers and other adventurers around the world. And from Gnarly Nutrition, push your possible with science-backed, delicious sports nutrition. And Loa Boots, crafting premium footwear for the mountains and beyond since 1923. This is Dougal McDonald, editor of the American Alpine Journal. At the AAJ, we don't go for climb of the year labels and stuff like that, but it's hard to avoid such superlatives for the recent first ascent of the southeast ridge of Annapurna III. This towering and tottering ridge follows a knife edge of loose snow and looser rock, gaining about 2,500 meters to reach a summit over 7,500 meters. The ridge had been tried multiple times, with no one getting higher than about 6,500 meters, roughly the point reached by the first attempt back in 1981. On November 6, three Ukrainian climbers, Nikita Balabanov, Mikhail Misha Fomin, and Vyacheslav Slava Polyzhekka, summited Annapurna III by the southeast ridge. It was their 16th day on the route, and they would need another two and a half days to descend unknown terrain on the west face. AAJ assistant editor Michael Levy spoke with two of the climbers, Balabanov and Fomin, to get the story of their first attempt in 2019 and their eventual success this month. Both men have deep backgrounds in exploratory climbing, including a PLA door for their 2015 new route on Talung in Nepal. Balabanov is a guide and Fomin works in the IT industry. Happily for us, both of them are nearly fluent in English and were able to chat with Michael in depth about their climb. Just to clarify who is who, Misha does most of the talking at the beginning of this interview. So sit back and enjoy the story of, well, I won't say the climb of the year, but certainly an exceptional Himalayan climb by anyone's standards. All right, uh, Mikhail Fomin and Nikita Balabanov, thanks so much for joining me on The Cutting Edge today. Um, really excited to have you guys. You like just got back from your expedition to Nepal, right? Yep. Yeah, right. One week ago, we landed in Kiev. Wow. In so, and uh, I've seen pictures of you guys. You guys look a little bit lighter from uh, from your expedition. <laughs> yeah, correct. Yeah, so, something like that. <laughs> how, how much weight did you guys lose out there? I lost, if, if counting in pounds, 27 pounds. Nikita, maybe about 30. 29 30 yeah yeah 30 pounds something and, like that and uh, slava he's the record holder he lost about 37 or 38 pounds wow 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 yeah. well i hope you guys are eating plenty of food out there so yep. <laughs> so for those of our listeners who maybe aren't as familiar with your guys careers if you guys could give us a little bit of background of the climbs that kind of led you to the southeast ridge of Annapurna Three. Well, it all started quite a long ago. So I started being familiar with outdoors starting from three years old because my father, he was a mountaineer and uh, a tourist, and he was taking me in some small, you know, outdoor activities. But obviously, like climbing some bigger stuff, I started maybe when I was about 22, 23 years old. So it was going through the post-USSR um, mountaineering camps 
where we gained a bit of experience. But and then I think starting from something interesting, I climbed um, several five thousanders in in our Russian Caucasus mountains, uh, and then made um, a first ascent on Ujba mountain. It's uh, in Georgia, and one of the hardest routes there. Um, and then after that, we started going into high ranges to Tianshan and Pamir. Uh, in Pamir, I climbed Korzhenieva, which is 7,000 peak, and then Kantengri. Mm -hmm. And then basically, we teamed up with Nikita and Slava somewhere in um, 2014. Yeah, actually, 2014, right? This was our first expedition joined. We went to Himalaya for the first time, and there we climbed a new route on Mont Langshisari, which is 6.4, which was our like first real large experience. And the next year, uh, Slava was not able to go with us, and uh, Nikita and I, we went to Kanchenjunga region, where we climbed Mont Talung, which is 7.3 something, for which we received pilot door. And this was like first great achievement for, for us. How long of a climb was that one? Uh, five days up, one six, day down. Yeah, six, six days up, yeah, and one or two days down. And after that, there were several years of um, defeats. Mm -hmm. So in 2017, we tried a new route on Gasherbrum 1, and I felt ill midway, and we had to go down. And then the next year, we attempted to, we, we wanted to climb new route on Broad Peak, but due to the weather conditions and due to the illnesses, we were able only to climb the classic route. And after that, there was 2019 with the attempt on Annapurna 3. And after that, there was 2021. <laughs> okay, so... Th th there was no 2020. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No 2020. <laughs> yeah, were you guys, during the, during the pandemic, I guess, were you guys just in Ukraine, locked down, climbing around there? Uh, for me, like, during pandemic, I just was uh, climbing in different areas where it was possible to go, like, in South America and somewhere else, in Turkey, I think. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, for me, 2020 was a Turkey year. Yeah. <laughs> nice. If it hadn't been for the pandemic, were you guys planning to go to Annapurna 3 in 2020? Yes. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay, so, so the Southeast Pillar of Annapurna 3. This was clearly one of the biggest outstanding problems in the Himalaya. It was tried way back in 1981. Nick Colton and Tim Leach reached about 1,000 meters below the summit. Um, other expeditions with strong climbers like Nick Bullock tried it, and then David Lam and Hans-Jörg Auer. They tried it in 2016, um, and no one, no one could get up this thing. So, so what makes the southeast pillar of Annapurna Three such a difficult climb? Uh, <laughs> there is a, a, a set of like problems which make it hard. So, the first one is that it is one mountain, but in fact, there are three distinct uh, pieces of it. Each of those you should tackle separately, but you should consider that you have another two. So this first one is snow and icy bottom, which is 1,500 meters of altitude difference. So where you should climb those snow ridges and uh, couloirs to reach the, the coal or the pillow underneath the rocky part. Then there is a rocky part, which is 1,000 meters of altitude difference. And on top of it, you have a ridge, which is 500 meters of altitude difference. So 
after you climb the snow and the rock, it's not the end. You have a huge and long reach which you have to cover to reach uh, the true mount, the, the true top of the mountain. And uh, we think that mm, all the expeditions they failed at six point five, which is basically the lower third of the rocky part, because they realized that they already put a lot of efforts. They spent almost all their food, gas, uh, and strength, and they have a lot on top of them to climb. So they just understood that they realized that they don't have enough resources to finish the climb and to get back. And this is the tactical complexity of the of the mountain. So that you have to you need to have enough resources to complete all the parts. Yeah, in fact, if if you take all any of these separate pieces, like any of the separate parts of the route, it is really difficult and big by itself. Right. There is not one part, but three parts. And uh, we understood that it is impossible to climb this route like, like super fast and light. Like take minimum and just go. It's it's absolutely impossible because the quantity of uh, the difficulties is enormous on the route. Like every day and during the day, almost every pitch is difficult. Like on many big objects, uh, you have some quantity of difficult pitches between a huge amount of moderate terrain. But here, like 80 or even more percent of the route is uh, really difficult pitches. So it kind of takes the, the full skill set of a climber. You need to be able to do it all. Yeah, yeah definitely. Absolutely and, full. <laughs> and also the quality of the terrain is really bad. So yeah. if, you have, yeah. if you have rock, it will be loose, broken. Rock is absolutely shitty. Yeah, oh, it, no. it's like it's like real shit. So everything that you touch, it falls down. So there is no solid rock here, like in Chamonix, or at least like in Kanchenjunga region, right? So where you have granites, it, it's it's not. It's all broken parts. You know, it's like Lego constructor which falls out. Yeah, uh, like some some pitches are not bad. But you don't have perfect pitches. Yeah. Right, right. And then if you have snow, then this snow will be unconsolidated cornices, mushrooms, and, uh, you know, knife blade ridges. So you don't have perfect never on which you run. So such kind of terrain, it just doesn't exist on this route at all. So you don't have perfect terrain at all. And you always need, you know, to invent some ways how to tackle this terrain. So when you look into the uh, into the route, you and when you say, okay, this is a rock pitch, I will climb it in one hour. No, you will not climb it in one hour because it falls out. And the same with the snow. You look into the snow, you think that this is never. And you say, and you think, okay, I will climb it in f- in fifteen twenty minutes. No, you need a shovel and an ice axe to climb <laughs> the snow, and you will spend two hours climbing this uh, uh, snowy pitch. So this is how it works on looking this. At, road, you know? Looking at Nikita's face, it looks like he's having flashbacks to digging through uh, snow. <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm just uh, listening, Misha, and thinking that you are considering us a kind of masochists. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so like you guys said, this was your your second attempt on on the southeast pillar. You were there in yeah. 2019. How high yeah. did you guys get on that attempt? How long was it, and what? Why did you guys turn back? 6.3 or 6.350, something like that, was our highest point. Uh, we stopped uh, after the chimney 
which is clearly seen in David Lama video, the big one. Maybe it's one of the cruxes of the route. Yeah. And uh, the main reason was uh, I had some frostbites on my feet. And Slava also had, but not so much. And uh, also maybe, except this problem, we just felt that we understood that uh, we couldn't uh, success this this time because uh, we had resource, we had food and gas as far as I remember for eight or for nine days for yep. the first try and uh, it was maybe fifth day six 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 or, day. or even sixth day and we were only at six point three so and I had a frostbite on my feet and couldn't sleep properly and and like everybody understood that we should return yeah that seems seems smart yeah from today we understand that we had no chances of summiting absolutely 2019 like really no chances because of the lack of resources as nikita said and of course because of the frostbites but even if nikita would try you know not to pay attention to his frostbites, we would not be able to summit because of the lack of resources. Right. right. That's true. Um, so based on that experience in 2019, realizing that you guys just didn't have quite enough uh, runway, quite enough supplies to, to make it to the top, even if you hadn't, even if Nikita hadn't had frostbite. Um, so it sounds like this year you guys really committed to bringing enough to, be on the mountain as long as you need it. Is that right? Uh, anyway, we were not ready for such quantity of the days like <laughs> like we had in the result. <laughs> wait, wait, yeah. What do you mean? So in, the, in our tactics plan, we considered for 12 days of the climb up and down. In fact, it turned out to be 50% more, 18 oh. days. So we were not considering to be for so long on yeah. the mountain, but it turned out to be so. It's a long time up there. I feel like you're in a, I feel yes. like you probably come back from a war on a different uh, planet. If we, if we knew before that we would be on the route for 18 days, maybe, maybe we won't start. <laughs> I think just, just because before that, uh, I thought that like it's impossible <laughs> to be on the route for eighteen days. It's like big wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like we never climbed for such a long time. Big wall like timelines, but with much less food and much less comfortable sleeping. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Wild. Um, and so you guys chose. You guys chose to climb in autumn. Um, did you guys? climb in autumn in 2019 and did did have other expeditions climbed in autumn as well what what's the decision around that uh the idea was that in autumn usually you have much stable weather windows much more predictable weather although it's quite windy and much colder than springtime but definitely you have stable weather windows without uh spring storms like you have in spring so uh we understood that quite difficult object so you must have a uh, proper weather and uh, it's impossible to have such windows in spring and uh, that is why we usually all the big expeditions in Nepal we try to make in autumn so to get to base camp, there are a couple different options, right? You can trek through the Setikola Gorge, as I understand, but that takes a really long time, or get dropped off by helicopter. And that's what the latter helicopter, Llama and Hour and Blue Mail, got dropped off by helicopter in 2016. Um, it sounded, according to their video, that the traditional approach is just too dangerous for porters. Um, and so you guys got dropped off by helicopter, too. Can you... Can you talk a little bit about that and the different approach options? Uh, 
Uh, I'm not sure that it's possible to finish uh, the track by Seti Kuala Gorge because as far as we know, uh, all the Rust tries to approach by tracking uh, were not successful. For example, Nick Balak uh, tried to approach and uh, after that they chose heli options because uh, this gorge is quite steep and there are lots of uh, rocky sections and uh, also landslides are very uh, common in this area and uh, from time to time these landslides are so huge that it's impossible to cross them so we didn't we didn't uh, see this option for us got it got it that is why we chose heli, heli. so where do you get the helicopter from uh from pokhara from pokhara and then it drops you off in base camp how high is base camp 4.6 i think yeah 4.6 okay yeah. so and now just getting our keeping our timeline straight here when did you guys get to base camp 23rd of September. Yeah, 23rd. Okay, so you get to base camp 23rd of September at 4,600 meters. You haven't had like the mellow, gradual approach up the city gorge. Uh, clearly not mellow. Um, but you haven't had gotten to acclimatize a little bit on the approach. And this route then goes to 2,300 or 2,500 meter pillar and then further up to the summit, right? So... So what was your acclimatization like? It's tough in that area, right? This was one of the results of the of the 2019 expedition that this year we knew exactly how to acclimatize around the base camp. And uh, so we made two rotations, one to the ridge between Annapurna 3 and Annapurna 4. It is, uh, they reached the altitude of 5.8. And then after that, the second rotation was actually on Annapurna 4, where we reached the altitude of 7.2. So basically, almost to the summit, we like didn't go to the summit because we didn't have the permit for that. But we spent two nights at uh, almost 7,000 meters, which gave us a very good acclimatization. And after that, we we relaxed in the base camp and started climbing. And uh, I would say that this was the acclimatization was really good because during the climb we did not feel the altitude almost at all. I mean, we worked quite effectively on all the altitudes that we had. Yeah, actually, we climbed so many days that I think it was it would be possible even without acclimatization. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, acclimatization was really good, and uh, that's true that we didn't have any problems on Annapurna 3, and it, it was okay. And in base camp, you guys, it was just just you three, right? No, no support staff at all? Yeah. yeah. Nobody at all. Yeah, what? usually... Usually we try to go in expeditions like that without cookers, without anybody. That's pretty cool. Just yeah. just you guys out in those big mountains all alone. Although, who you guys rotate the cooking duties or what? What's how does that work? <laughs> yes, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's who's the best cook? <laughs> Slava <laughs> likes that the best. While we're in the base camp, most often. Uh, Slava makes cooking, uh, but yeah. Anyway, we rotate those responsibilities yeah. because it's just routine. Cool. Um, and so, when you got there this year, and you're acclimatizing, and you're you're down in base camp and on the surrounding peaks for a while, what did the southeast ridge look like? Did it seem in similar conditions to 2019? Where is where it was it in condition that you thought would be pretty beneficial for your guys climb uh we we thought that it was in worse condition than during first try yeah 
Really? Why? Drier or more snow or? The snow was worse, like less solid. And uh, during the first try, uh, in some lower sections uh, on the rocks, we had quite good neve, uh, which helped us to climb much faster. This time there was no neve. It was just dry rocks. And uh, we had to to climb them like for, for much more time. So we've talked about your strategy changing a little bit from 2019, right? You guys knew you were going to have to take more stuff and be ready to be on the mountain for more days, even if yeah. you weren't ready for 17 days. Um, <sighs> so what did you guys take with you? Um, you have three, three people you can carry a little bit more, obviously, than a team of two, but you still need a lot of stuff. Well, um, I can start recollecting how much gear we had. So I think we had um, one set of nuts. We had 10 camelots. We had seven ice screws. And uh, we had 15 pitons. I don't, I, I'm, I'm not sure if you are familiar. We, they look like uh, peckers from black. They look diamond. like black diamond peckers. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah. We call them anchor, anchor pitons. So it's they are made in uh, in Russia and in Ukraine, and all climbers here use them. So it's something like black diamond peckers, but mm-hmm. they are much lighter, and we can carry more of them because of their lightness. So this was our gear, maybe 10 quick draws. And uh, also we have something like 8 or 10 pitons, titanium pitons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was our wreck. And uh, we slept in a two-person black diamond first light tent. Uh, we had uh, one sleeping bag uh, for Nikita. And another two-person sleeping bag for me and Slava. And we slept like me and Slava heads in one direction and Nikita, his head in another another direction in the tent. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we took 12 days of food and gas. And three three uh, ropes? Three ropes, right. Yeah, three ropes, two, sta- two dynamic and one static. Uh, four ice axes, two ice axes for the leader, and then one ice axe for the second and third guy. And uh, I think that's it. So one ice axe for the second and third guy. Um, on mellow terrain, that's not as steep, obviously. That works fine. But on steeper, more technical pitches, uh, are you just... Uh, jugging uh, lines? Yeah, we had Jumars. Yeah, okay, so on, on steeper sections we use Jumars. Mm-hmm. So one guy on the static like you, line. You are using Jumar and have one ISX uh, in case of uh, traverse or something like that. Gotcha. Did you guys use a tent the whole way that you brought or did you have any open babies out there with some nice space to spread out? We had one, one sitting baby. We, we had one sitting night, yeah, and, and uh, yeah, and for that night we had a, a snow hammock, so we used a snow hammock to build a ledge, and put uh, the tent on top of the ledge. That middle snow uh, pillow, um, were there pretty good babies on on that? Did you baby below the wall? I'm betting. Yes, so on this pillow we had a night. And this yeah. was one of the most comfortable bivvies. Yeah. In, in fact, this is the only bivvy where you can just put the tent, take off the harness, walk around the tent, and everything. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the rest of the bivvies, you, you were above there, you're tied in the whole time. And... Yeah, yeah. Tied in, and you have to chop your ledges to build your yeah, ledges with your shovel usually you need to build the ledge oh brutal it's a lot of work 
Um, yeah. So after you finish climbing, then you start building the ledge. Yeah. How so? So all that gear that you had, how much did your packs weigh? Uh, I think at the start we have packs like twenty kilos each. I mean, during the approach. Then uh, leader took uh, some part of the gear and ropes. And after that, uh, leader's pack become much lighter. And uh, for the first days, packs of second and third, I think, remain 20 kilos or something. And then become lighter and lighter every day. Okay, so so now... Onto the climb itself, I guess. Um, what day did you guys start up? We started... 23rd? Yeah. Also 23rd, but October. 23rd, October, okay. Um, and what was the, the first part of the route with the snowy sections like? Snow and ice cool wars, right? Well, we expected it to be snow and ice cool wars. Yeah. Okay. But in yeah. fact, because the route changed uh, from 2019, uh, there were quite a lot of steep short but steep uh, sections like uh, waterfall ice or some mixed climbing so you climb the ice couloir and then uh, a steep section uh, and because of that we were not able to climb simultaneously all the yeah, time yeah. because on those sections you have somehow to protect yourself at least before and after it so it was like a mix of uh, uh, moderate climbing and short sections of hard climbing. In, in 2019, almost all this lower part was like a system of couloir and gulots, which were filled with not bad snow. And we could climb simultaneously, more or less, and from time to time, not simultaneously. But this time it become much drier, and all these gulots inside were filled with ice or really hard snow. For me, it felt like they become a little bit steeper even mm. because of they become drier. So, did this lower yeah. this lower buttress up to the snow pillow? Did that take longer than in twenty nineteen? It's the same, I think. Same. Yeah, same. Guys... The same, but but uh, uh, everybody of us agreed that we felt it uh, it become much difficult, much more difficult. Right? Were you concerned at all about what was ahead then? Thinking like, oh God, this is just another an, another attempt where we might not might not <laughs> make it all the way. Well, such thoughts appeared, I would say, appeared every day. Every day. In, in everybody's <laughs> heads. Yeah, so Definitely, yeah. Will we succeed? Will we fail? Uh, will this obstacle stop us and make us start rappelling? So <clears throat> such thoughts, we, we had them constantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, this is true. Um, I saw somewhere that you guys did... I, uh, a bunch of night climbing on the rack because there was some stuff oh, yeah. coming down, right? So what was it? So this first day, uh, we started at midnight, started climbing at midnight, and we were climbing for maybe 20 hours. So we stopped in the afternoon somewhere on those uh, snowy ridges, and we wait, we waited for all the day, and then we continued to climb at night again. Just yeah. because during the day the the snow is uh, is too uh, too wet and uh, yeah. too deep, unstable. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, all first three or four days we climbed in the night. Like at least at least we started climbing in the night, climb almost whole night, and then continue somewhere in the morning. So. You guys talked about the decision to climb in autumn. What was the weather that you encountered up on the, the ridge? Weather it is a separate topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So before we started, we had a forecast which said that, guys, you have 12 days of excellent weather. Excellent. 
Yeah, forecast was like absolutely clear. Yeah. And during the first five days of the climb, uh, the pattern was exactly the same every day. So in the morning, the weather was perfect. At noon, it started snowing. And it snowed during 6 or 7 p.m. So during those 6 or 7 hours, we've got from 15 to 20 or 30 centimeters of fresh snow every day. Brutal. Yes. (laughs) And like the weather was bad (laughs) in effect. (laughs) Yeah. So, and this pattern, it... uh, it happened like during all the route. So uh, in total, we had eight or nine days of snowy weather during our climbing, despite the ideal forecast, which said that there is no snow at all. <laughs> and uh, what we figured out that there is a meteorological phenomenon there. <laughs> Like, it's really a phenomenon. So what happens? Uh, This valley, it has Annapurna 3 on the left and Annapurna 4 on the right. And it is very steep. And it is the steepest valley to Pokhara. So what happens? In Pokhara, you have a lake. And from this lake, uh, a lot of water vaporizes. And all this moisture every day it goes into the valley and for some strange reason all the clouds which come into the valley they concentrate above Annapurna 3 and what happens is that from those clouds the snow goes so there were some cases in the upper part of the route when we were climbing when we had snow, but we saw that on Annapurna 4, there is sunshine. Just on the opposite side of the valley. Yeah, yeah. And when we were on Annapurna 4, on Annapurna 4, you have normal weather. Like if you have clear forecast, you have clear weather during the day. So, yeah. <laughs> it was like personal, personal uh, cloud and personal... <laughs> Uh, snowstorm just for us. <laughs> um, earlier, we also talked about um, the chimney a little bit, and so I've seen the the video with David Lama and Hans Gower, uh them climbing the chimney, and I've I've read about it elsewhere. It sounds like it is one of the definite cruxes, right? Yeah. I'm, I, I can say that I'm the only person on the earth who climbed <laughs> two times. Two times, yeah. <laughs> That's true. So how high is the chimney? What, what elevation? Uh, it's like maybe 30 meters, maybe 35. It is small. Elevation is 6.3. Okay. Um, what, what makes it so hard? It took, it, took like, it took you like a whole day, right, Misha? No, no. It took me two hours. Oh, okay. Yeah. But it's so pretty brutal. It is brutal because it is so destroyed. So everything inside. So the the rock there, it is covered by, you know, s- such small pieces of rock. Uh, we name them the skin of the dragon. Because <laughs> You touch, first of all, they are very sharp. Like you can, they're super sharp. You can uh, tear all your clothes. During the first try, when Misha finished this pitch, his hardshell jacket was like, I don't know, like dog attacked him and tried to to eat him. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, correct. So my. Hard shell jacket and pants were completely destroyed just after one this pitch. Like nothing. I, I threw them away. Wow. Yeah. So and and this is one thing. The other thing is that it is really very, very destroyed rock. So 
everything that you touch, it falls down. So you have to be very careful when climbing. So what you touch and how you touch this thing, you have to be very careful. And uh, and obviously there is a mix of climbing uh, using crampons and ice axes, and mostly this is aid climbing. And yeah, it it that sounds very intense. Word on the ground, <laughs> let alone at a uh, sixty-three hundred meters. Yeah, but for the second time it went much faster, and my yeah. jacket and pants were just completely like good. Oh, so, nice. That's a bonus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, That's experience. That's experience, yeah. <laughs> and then, so right above the chimney, that's uh, where David Lama and Hans Ogauer and Alex Blumel turned around, right? About there? No, no. They climbed maybe another 200 meters up. So you guys did the chimney, went a couple hundred meters further, and that's about the spot where no one had been beyond, right? Yeah, uh, the, the knife. The so knife. this knife, this is above which nobody was there. Um, and what what was in front of you? I would say one of the really hard features of the knife itself is that so you climb the ridge, then you top this knife, uh, the snow knife. Uh, we spent a night there. And then you have to descend towards the continuation of the ridge. And this descent uh, on the snow, this is very complicated part of the route because it is unconsolidated snow as usual. It is almost vertical and you have to somehow descend and uh, the ridge is like really knife blade. So we were moving along the ridge one leg here, one leg there, and you're just sitting on top of this snowy ridge and trying to push yourself further. So this part is very complicated. Um, Slava climbed it somehow using shovel and, you know, some mantras. Uh, and after that, the the rocky part of the ridge continues. So there are maybe another... 200 meters of uh, quite complicated rocks and then maybe another 300 meters of uh, moderate and uh, more complicated mixed climbing with uh, uh, vertical ice sections. So how hard were the, the grades on some of this climbing, the mixed climbing and the, the ice climbing? Um, I would say mixed M6. Nikita, what do you say? M6, yeah. Yeah, M6. Anyway, if, 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 some, if there is something more difficult than M6, usually you just switch to 8 just because of the height and, and everything. And uh, ice climbing, just vertical waterfall ice. I think this is W4. And so uh, the day with, that day with the down climb then where you're kind of in in new terrain now where no one has been before. Uh, what day is that? Uh, it's, uh, you mean the number of the day? Yeah. The, uh, it's, uh, so we summited on day number 15, right? Mm -hmm. And the same day we descended till 6.8 on the western slope, right, Nikita? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, and uh, from day 16, we started rappelling so, down so the western slope. You, brought, you guys brought 12 days of food um, and topped out on day 16? 15. Day 15. Top 15. Top so, 15. clearly, you guys, by the time mm -hmm. you reached the summit, you already had been rationing food. What About when in the climb did you guys decide, well, we're going to need a... We're going to need to cut down our our food intake each day, and we're going to keep going either way. I think maybe day 10, we already realized that we need yeah, to yeah. start cutting. Day 10, or maybe even earlier, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. So we, we realized this quite early, and that's why we were able to 
stretch for such a long time the the food and are you guys uh what's that conversation like are you both of you misha and nikita and also slava are you guys all on the same page like i, I remember watching uh meru the the film the, fir- <laughs> the first this time conrad yeah. and jimmy and renan are up there right they start rationing food and then when they keep going renan is like what we're still we're still going up <laughs> uh i think uh, everybody of us understood that we if we want to get to the top we don't have any other options because like if you just keep eating according to the plan (laughs) then definitely on day 12 you will be out of food and uh, we clearly understood that uh, we, we won't be on the top <laughs> on day 12. Uh, I remember some arguments, but I don't remember what about. I think mostly we were arguing how particularly we should. Yeah, extend. yeah. It, so, it was but, technical questions, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It wasn't not let's that, go down or let's not go down, right? Yeah, we're not we're not discussing the the fact that we have to extend. So it, yeah, it yeah. was obvious for all no, of us. No, but but definitely nobody uh, nobody was happy. <laughs> nobody was happy, right? <laughs> Everyone <laughs> wanted a cheeseburger, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. The final thousand meters to the top. There's some technical, some some more moderate stuff. Uh, how did it feel to to finally get onto the more moderate terrain, leading to the summit, and get to the summit? Though uh, it was great to get on moderate terrain, as we at first we thought that we would be much faster, but in fact, uh, like the the initial plan when we get there, we thought that we will top on day fourteenth. But in fact, uh, these days, uh, the wind was so strong. Like people who were uh, who were looking at our progression, I mean, with uh, it was possible by uh, Garmin and Rich and etc. They told me that they saw the, in the forecast that the wind was like one. 100 kilometers that days. Oh my god. Uh, I'm not sure it was 100, but the wind was really strong, and we just couldn't get to the summit. Like the relief was moderate, the slope were gentle, but we couldn't progress because it was too windy. And uh, the whole day, we trail broke and in in the end of the day we were at 7.4 and started from 7.1 so like we we covered 300 meters during the whole day and after that uh, in the evening we just understood that like we we can try to continue but it's not effective at all. And we decided to stop and uh, continue the next day and just to rest. And uh, found more or less good place where we can uh, dig the hole for the tent in the snow and just spend the night in, on 7.4. Did you guys have, uh, and so then the next day from 7.4 to the summit, did you have, uh, you have a nice day or another, another day of snow? <laughs> another windy day. Another, no, windy, another day. windy day. Oh. <laughs> the yeah, weather was good, but windy. Oh, man. Yeah. And then the descent. You guys came down a different aspect of the mountain than what you went up. Um, was that planned? And how uh, long did it take? So the initial plan was to descend using the the route of ascent and for that we had like uh, additional pitons which we intended to leave on the route for appels 
but during the ascent we realized that the the complexity and the danger of of the route of ascent it's uh, quite high and we we don't want to take this risk for the descent so we started to look for other options and the main option at this moment was to descend towards uh, Manang Valley because this is the route of first ascensionists and uh, there are moderate snow slopes there which we can which we could use so this looked like a reasonable option yeah. at first it looked like a super good plan and super easy yeah. <laughs> yeah. but then when when we spent two days or a day and a half to summit uh, so to gain 500 meters of altitude difference because of the strong wind we realized that to go to Manang side we have to make a traverse which is three and a half kilometers on the altitude of 7.2 or 7.1 7.3 even 7.3 between the main summit and these gentle snow slopes going to Manang you have three and a half kilometers of uh, reach on 7.3 and you must make make this traverse and then you go on on easy terrain and the wind here plays against you. So we understood that this is not an option. We will not be able to make this traverse with those winds uh-huh. in within a reasonable time frame. Right, because you're on an exposed ridge there for a long time, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. We, we just understood that we don't have enough forces. Mm-hmm. We're just too tired to, to go this three-plus kilometers. Yeah, and it's not like just easy walk. So there are ups and downs on this way. So it's not like just walking on the flat surface. And therefore, we reached this third option to go down the west face, which, well... Actually, at at first, initially, it was not an option. We even didn't think about that. (laughs) Yes. So basically, we realized that this is an option only after we topped the ridge. And when we were going towards the mountain, we looked to the left and uh, started discussing, well, you see, this is a slope. Maybe we can use it to go down. So it was like... Literally like that. Yeah, it was something like that. That's true. <laughs> and uh, I remembered then when I was at home, I was um, using Google Earth to look through the mountain. And I was like looking into this slope. And I remembered that it looked more or less fine. I mean, nothing uh, super technical. I haven't seen. I haven't seen there, but this was the only information that we had. No photos, no topos, no descriptions, nothing. So just the look from the above on this slope, and that's it. So it was. So, it was kind of a uh, a leap of faith that you guys were going to be able to find the the right the right way down. Uh, yeah. It was. I would say it was the the game of our intuition. Mm-hmm. That that's like literally like that. So we used all the power of our intuition to find the proper way. And when we descended and when we looked back, we realized that the line that we took is the only possible line of descent. Wow. On this face. Like literally any other place you go, you will find yourself in a disaster. Wow, that's although this one is also not one hundred percent safe. So, but yes. but it is the only possible, definitely. Any moments on the descent where you guys thought you were had hit a dead end or something like that? <sighs> we had ropes stuck, so we had one rappel on the rocky barrier, and we had a large, like almost sixty meters rappel. 
And vertical, vertical, like yeah. really vertical. Like you, you just hang near the rocky face when you rappel. And vertical, it, vertical rappel with uh, hanging belay after. Oh. Yeah. And on this belay station, we were not able. And when we tried to pull the ropes, they didn't go. And they, we were able to pull them only using two jumars and three people hanging on those jumars. Oh, wow. <laughs> so this was a very intense moment because we realized that if we don't manage to pull the ropes down, we are in bad shape because yeah. it was in the, in the middle of this phase. Yeah, so, and we pulled this uh, rope for one hour. Wow. Yeah. That's scary. It was, it was, it was really hard. So something bad happened with them uh, <laughs> up there. So that's like... Uh, Got caught on some little, in a crack or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and so how many days did the descent take you? Uh, three days. And Three so, days, yeah. 16, 17, 18. Um, yeah. And you guys ran out of food on, on day 12, so you're pretty hungry at this point. Um, no, we, we didn't run on food oh, right. on day exactly. 12. Anyway, we cut the everyday rations, so we were out of food, I think, on day 17th at all. Okay. So, yeah, on Sunday, completely out. Yeah, but last four days, we didn't... Or five days, we didn't make uh, hot food, and we couldn't uh, uh, we couldn't accept uh, boiling. So we just make some some warm water, mixture it with isotonic, and uh, for food we had I think one or one and a, or two bars per each person. Uh, per day got it and so uh then you guys got picked up by helicopter on the descent right uh yeah from the elevation like five thousand meters it was after all technical part on the walking walking part of the valley but but you're so far away from base camp because you came down at a different spot the idea was uh, uh, we already wrote to our partners from Seven Summit Tracks who were managing all the logistics. Uh, the idea was that they will pick up us at 4.5. Uh, beforehand, we wrote them that we are going down on this side. So they knew already. Uh, but... Uh, that day, the weather uh, becoming worse, and uh, Mingma, one of the chairmen of uh, the Seven Summit Tracks company, uh, he told to heli pilot that okay, we should go now and take them now because in the nearest hours weather become worse, and when they get to four point five, we already won't be able to fly for them. And uh, they already knew also, I wrote uh, by Garmin, by Enrich, uh, that we are ran out of everything. <laughs> so they understood that they, they must take us now. So they, they, they really helped. Do you feel, uh, what would you say to someone who takes issue with getting picked up by the helicopter? Like you're already on the walking part. Um, well, for us, it doesn't matter because uh, anyway, after we descend, we should be taken by helicopter either <laughs> yeah. from base camp or with, any with, other side of the mountain. Without any options, you would be taken. Right. So. That's how you got in as well. Yeah. yeah, mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. And did, But you guys came back or someone came back and, and cleaned up all your supplies from base camp, I assume? Yeah. So yeah, was... the same the same day Slava uh, flew with uh, heli pilot and took all the base. Cool. So Very good. Did you? We didn't leave anything. So yeah, you didn't leave anything at base camp. Did you guys leave uh, 
were there any fixed ropes or gear much gear you guys left up on the on the mountain uh no fixed ropes uh but unfortunately we left uh, a little package of uh, rubbish on the lower part because at that time we were sure that we will uh, descend on the same way <laughs> that is why uh, unfortunately we left one gas canisters and some some rubbish gotcha. yeah everything else all the other rubbish so when we realized that we are going to descend the other way then we yeah, like yeah. collected all other uh, rubbish and uh, took it with ourselves so this is kind of um a broader question this kind of style of knowing you can't really go fast and light um so planning for a lot of days but then still needing to stretch it out further i mean dmitry golovchenko sergey nilov i think of them on uh janu and uh <laughs> and then some of their other expeditions i mean it's a very particular style. Like uh, the margin for error seems seems small. What 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 is it about this style that that makes you guys so good at it? You think <laughs> or capable <laughs> for it? Well, I think this style it just requires you to be able to endure a lot of suffering. So, and uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, but ex-USSR alpinists are very good in the art of suffering. (laughs) (laughs) The correlation is there, for sure. Yes. Yes. Uh, Anyway, style is required by the object. Like, uh, from my point of view, like, now it's almost impossible. to climb this uh, route in very fast and light style, just because I don't know the people who are capable to do that on the earth now. And uh, and I think that is style you have to do. There are there are examples of using this style not only by ex-USSR alpinists, like, for yeah. example, the very first attempt on uh, Letok 1 by Lowe's and Kennedy's. Yeah, for example. They spent 27 days or so on the route. For sure. Because, just because the route is very long and very complicated. So... Even if you climb one pitch in half an hour or 20 minutes, if you have 80 pitches, it's a long way and you will not be able to complete all of them in three days having five Snickers bars in your pocket, unfortunately. Yeah, these big objectives just need big, big commitment, it seems like. Um, Yeah. And you bring up... Yeah, Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the style we use here, uh, it's uh, like we used it, but it doesn't mean that we use such kind of style everywhere. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> really often we climb uh, on smaller objectives really fast and uh, like in, in much better style. But on this big object, unfortunately, we couldn't use better style just because... I would say anyway it is our best. <laughs> yeah. I would say we left space for the upcoming generations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To improve that. Nice, <laughs> nice. But but uh, uh, I can definitely say that uh, it is possible to improve this time, yeah. Even even with this even with this style it is possible to climb much faster. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thanks for taking the time to chat with me, Mikhail and Nikita. Uh, really loved hearing all about the Southeast Ridge of Annapurna 3. It sounds like it was an amazing adventure and a really exceptional climb. So congratulations. Yeah. Uh, thank thanks, you. A lot. thanks a lot. Thank you so much. Near the end of our interview, running out of time, we had to cut a passage where Michael asked Nikita and Nisha about their future plans. 
Like many alpinists, they don't like to talk about projects until they are completed. But one thing they did say, their next big expedition will be in 2023, not 2022. After Annapurna 3, they'll need a couple of years to regain the strength and psych for another huge objective. Thanks to both men and to Michael Levy for creating this interview. The Cutting Edge is presented by Hilleberg the Tentmaker. Whether it's a base camp in the Himalaya or a beautiful night near home, for winter camping, there's no better option than a Hilleberg tent. Check out hilleberg.com to see all the options. This podcast receives additional support from PolarTech, who's celebrating 40 years of the original fleece, outfitting climbers and adventurers alike. This year, PolarTech is looking back on the partners, products, and people that helped shape the outdoor industry. From an innovation timeline made with Outside Magazine, features with legendary brands like Marmot and Melanzana, and stories from challenge grants that sent alpinists on expeditions across the globe. Take a deep dive into their rich history by going to the Peaking Since 91 page on PolarTech.com. You can also follow them on Instagram at PolarTechFabric. The Cutting Edge also receives support from Gnarly Nutrition, fueling climbs and other mountain adventures. Imagine training your heart out for six long months, maintaining a strict regimen. You're high on a wall on day one of a climb. But as the sun gets low in the sky, you realize you're bonking because your fueling has failed you. The solution? Gnarly Nutrition. Gnarly is the most effective, science-backed, and delicious sports nutrition made by mountain athletes just like you. Avoid bonking. Send with Gnarly. We also get help from Loa Boots. Loa began as a village cobbler in Bavaria in 1923. Almost 100 years later, Loa is still based in that village and is still building boots and shoes in Europe under the world's most stringent environmental and labor standards. From mountaineering and ice climbing boots to rock climbing shoes, hiking boots, and now lightweight trail shoes, Loa is recognized worldwide for the uncompromising quality, fit, and comfort that make Loa boots simply more. Thanks for listening to this episode. Until next time, this is Dougal McDonald, wishing you happy climb.